Hiller family and friends, I miss you, uh, but I am glad that we can spend time together, even at least in, in this way. Uh, so thank you, for, thank you for choosing to spend this time with us. Uh, would you do me a favor? Would you pull out your phone or grab a piece of paper and a pen? I'm going to ask you a question, and I'd like you to jot down an answer. Just punch it into your phone or write it down on your piece of paper. And here's the question. Who or what is of first importance to you? You can only pick one, one person, one thing. Who is most important to you or what is most important to you? All right, you got it. I'll give you a second just to punch that in or at least lock it away in your mind. Who or what is of first importance to you? So in a recent survey presented as Would You Rather Pairings, researchers, researchers work to identify the primary values of our generation. Here are just a few examples of the types of statements that they, that they posed. Here's the first one. Would you rather be a smart person who is never appreciated or be an average person who gets all the praises in the world? 69% of people said they would rather be smart but unappreciated, and the other 31% were just straight up honest, right? Here's another one. Would you rather gain 10 friends in real life or 10,000 friends on Facebook and Instagram? 95% of people want friends in real, real life. Uh, no shocker there. I'm a little concerned about the other 5%, but no shock in that answer. And we're really feeling that right now, right? I mean, we are tired of restriction of movement, tired of quarantine. We just want to see people and be with them. Even the introverts in our family are ready for this thing to be over with. And one more. Would you rather have an easy job working for somebody else? Or would you rather work for yourself but have to work incredibly hard? So one of my kids already responded to this one, and they said, they said, oh, absolutely, I want to work for myself. Definitely want to work for myself. I said, why? And they said, well, I don't like being bossed around. I think the majority of people uh, who responded to the survey agree with my, uh, my child. Uh, so just I'm sorry for the rest of you on active duty. That's just not even an option for you. Your life is getting bossed around. So again, the question, who or what is of first importance to you? Now, Paul wrote a letter to some young Christians to discuss this very question. And he wrote in his letter to the church in Corinth, we have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, from verses 3 to 4. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Did you catch that? First importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. This is Paul saying as clearly as he can that the gospel is of first importance to us and nothing else comes close. Now, for my friends who are skeptics, and I have many, for my friends who are agnostics, I have many, for my friends who are atheists, I have friends who are atheists, and I'm thankful for you. This reality is good news for you. Here's what this means. Your doubting and your disbelief does not diminish the primacy of the gospel. This is an objective reality, not a subjective one. It's not dependent upon whether I view it as important or not, or whether you view it as important or not. The gospel is of first importance. It is of first importance for you whether or not you believe, and the good news is the God of that gospel, our rescuing, pursuing king, is pursuing you too, even in your unbelief, even in your doubting. You can't outrun this rescuing king. You cannot outreason this rescuing king. You can't outsin his grace. 
there's a short story or poem entitled The Hound of Heaven. A guy named Francis Thompson wrote that. And he said, your weak faith does not weaken the gospel. In the weakness of your faith, the primacy of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus stands as especially good news for you. And I love that. And my prayer for you today is that our rescuing king would overtake you and overcome your unbelief or overcome your weak faith and give you that gift of faith in himself. Now, I don't know what you punched into your phone. I don't know what you wrote down on your paper. But Paul is telling us here clearly that Jesus' resurrection is more important to you than anything else you can think of. Now, there are many reasons why. We're just going to consider three briefly from our text today. And here they are. Jesus' credibility, the first reason. His resurrection validates everything he ever said. Number two, his authority, Jesus' authority. The resurrection demonstrates Jesus' unrivaled authority over all things and all people. And third, Jesus' ability. The resurrection displays his unmatched power. So let's begin with Jesus' credibility. The resurrection validates everything that Jesus ever said. If you were reading an account of the resurrection from the Gospels, let's take uh, the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 7, we learn about three followers of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And um, a God's messenger appeared to them. He's described as a young man dressed in a white robe. He meets them and he says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he's risen. He's not here any longer. See, look, the place where they laid him and pointing to it and implying to them or showing them it's empty. And then he said, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Those last words are Mark's emphasis in this paragraph right here, just as he told you. What Mark, what Mark is recording for us is this, Jesus did exactly what he always said he would do. And what did Jesus told his followers that he would do? Well, he told them that he would rise from the dead. Um, speaking of himself, Jesus said this, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. He said this way before it actually happened. And then he said this, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. That's Mark 9, 31. And that's not all he told them. He also told his followers where exactly he would be after his resurrection. He said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He told them the exact town where he could be found. Jesus' resurrection stands as the exclamation point at the end of all that Jesus said. It's his mic drop, if you will. Now think about it in, the term, in terms of a, of a marriage. All that Jesus ever said would be like the wedding vows. He said all of these good things, but would his life prove them to be true? Would the, would the marriage prove this love to be true? And so the resurrection stands as a lifetime of marriage validating what was said at the altar, if you will. Or think about the resurrection in terms of parenting. All that Jesus ever said prior to the resurrection would be like a young parent um, just whispering and kissing on a baby and telling this baby, man, I love you, I love you, I love you. Okay, maybe so, but will it be proven to be true? And so the resurrection stands as a lifetime of sacrificially loving, serving, protecting, and providing. It proves those words to be true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you can forget 
everything that he ever said. He lied to you. He lied. Uh, He is like an unfaithful husband or like an absentee father whose words are now just, not just meaningless, but actually hurtful and deceptive. That's what Paul said. I mean, Paul wrote that in the Bible. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith, your faith in Jesus is in vain. But if Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, just as he said he would do, that gives exceptional credibility to everything else he ever said. Tim Keller summarizes it this way. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? So the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And that's our first point. Jesus' resurrection validates everything he ever said. You can trust him. He is a trustworthy king, and you can trust him with your life. Number two, Jesus' authority. Jesus' resurrection demonstrates Jesus' unrivaled authority. No, 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 no doubt you've heard somebody say something like this, death is the great equalizer. Or maybe you've heard it this way, in that we all die, in death we are all equal. Well, that may be true for us as uh, simple human beings, but Jesus proved otherwise. Jesus proved that we are not all equal. I mean, we are, but we're not equal with, with him. We are not equal with Jesus. He's unrivaled. The resurrection says this to us. Jesus has unique authority over death, over life, and that he has unique authority over me and over you. I mean, Jesus claimed as much prior to his resurrection. During his lifetime interacting with people, he said this. He said, the Son of Man, again, when when Jesus would say the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself. The Son of Man has authority. I have authority, Jesus said, on earth to forgive sins. And to a, mer- to a paralyzed man, he said something uh, very similar. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you, implying that he alone had the authority to speak, um, to speak those words over somebody. And so then Paul links this authority with the resurrection. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So what Paul's saying is no resurrection No actual authority, no resurrection, no authority, no actual forgiveness. So Jesus' claim of authority, absent this demonstration of authority through the resurrection, would be absolutely meaningless. But in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. His authority has been demonstrated. And so Jesus alone has authority to forgive sins. If you have repented of your rebellion against your rightful King Jesus, and you have believed the good news of the gospel, you have been saved, past tense, you have been saved from the penalty of your sin because Jesus took it in your place. As he was hanging on the cross, he spoke these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as a rebel, I was the one who should have spoken those words. I was the one rightfully forsaken by a righteous and perfect creating Father. I should have said those words. I should have hung on the cross. You should have said those words. But Jesus said them in our place. Jesus, hanging on the cross, took this penalty, rescuing those of us who repent and believe. So the past tense of the gospel, we have already been saved because of what Jesus did through his substitutionary death we're also being saved we're being saved from the power of sin over us we are no longer slaves to the sin to the rebellion that just absolutely owned us with the same power through which he defeated death and the grave 
Jesus is now rescuing us from the power of sin, which formerly enslaved us. He is doing it. It's a daily thing he is doing. So we have been saved. We are being saved. And we will finally one day be fully saved from the presence of sin. So all of my remaining rebel tendencies, all of them, all of those things that I cannot shake on my own, I will finally be saved from them. The resurrection guarantees it. When Jesus returns, it's what he's told us. I will be faithful, he says, to finish the work that I've started in you. He's going to complete it. And this is our hope. Our hope is not in self-rescue. I don't have the ability for this. You don't. Our hope is not in religious rescue. We can't rescue ourselves through religious effort. The rescue that we need, the only rescue available to us, is the rescue accomplished by Jesus himself. He has the authority to do this, and with that authority, Jesus makes dead sinners, like you and I were in our rebellion, he makes us live. He's done this, he's doing it, and he will finally and fully do it on our behalf. The resurrection demonstrates Jesus' unrivaled authority over death, over me, and over you. Now third, and finally, Jesus' Jesus' ability, the resurrection displays Jesus' unmatched power, his unrivaled ability. We read this in Mark 16, verses 2 2 through 4. It says this, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying one to another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of this tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Let's consider this, though. Why were Jesus' closest followers even asking this question? Why were they asking this question? They were asking this question because they actually thought that Jesus was dead. But what about what Jesus had told them, that he would rise again after three days, that he would meet them in a town, and he gave them the name of that town? Why were they asking who would roll Jesus' stone away? Well, quite simply, they were asking this question because... They thought Jesus was dead. They didn't believe. Now, before we go judging them for this, let's just be honest. We ask questions like that all the time, too. Who will roll away this stone for us? Now, why do we ask that question? Every time we ask a question like that, it's revealing unbelief that still remains in our heart, those rebel tendencies And to be honest with you, too often, I live like Jesus is dead. I live like that stone has not been rolled away. I think if you were willing to be honest, you would admit, too, that you very often live, even as a professed Christian, like Jesus is still dead, like the stone has not been rolled away. A guy named Andrew Murray said this. He said, a dead Christ, I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. Guys, too often, for those of us who grew up in religious circles, man, especially just the Deep South and the Bible Belt, and just religious pockets around our own country, our religious experience have taught us to live as though Jesus is dead. It has told us just to do good and be good on our own. Guys, too many of us live this way. The gospel gives us a reminder, good news, that Jesus has done the work for us already. He has done everything for us, and so we don't do work for Jesus. We simply live in response to the work that Jesus has already done on our behalf. Paul Tripp says it this way, Look into the empty tomb, he says. If God could do this, there is simply nothing inside or outside of you that he is unable to handle. I mean, we're unable to handle all kinds of things. 
but he is not. And that's good news for rebels like you and me who are in need of rescue. And deep down, deep down, we all know we need this kind of rescuer. We know we need a truer hero than ourselves. We know we need a better hero in the story than ourselves. We are profoundly unable and incapable, profoundly inconsistent. Jesus is the true and better hero. Jesus is able to do what we are powerless to do ourselves. So the resurrection displays Jesus' unmatched power. Before we wrap it up, I just kind of want to give you one. It's not even another point. It's not a bonus point. It's just a very personal reason why Jesus' resurrection is of, of first importance to all of us. If you keep pressing in Mark, Mark 16, verse 7, we read again, where the messenger says, see the place where they laid him. It's empty. Look at it. It's empty. He's alive. But go tell his disciples. And do you notice this word? Go tell his disciples. And one of them is singled out. Peter. Peter's singled out. He's one of the disciples. But go tell his disciples and especially tell Peter that he, Jesus, is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Guys, the last time we see Peter before Mark 16, he is a broken man. He is a mess. He's betrayed Jesus publicly. And here's what we read in Mark 14, 72. This is all it says of Peter. He broke down and wept. He was a broken, broken man. Broken still because of his remaining rebel tendencies. Guys, we are Peter. We have that same kind of brokenness about us. We carry the same kind of rebel tendencies. We, in our own hearts, still tend to, to, to doubt and even deny Jesus, and sometimes even publicly and out loud. We are Peter. We have that brokenness. And we are surrounded by brokenness. Now, the Google Dolls in their well-known song, Iris, actually have a line that reads or sings, everything is meant to be broken. But that's not true. Everything is not meant to be broken. Everything is broken under the curse of sin, but everything is made to reflect the beauty of Christ. And the resurrection signals God's intent to bring life out of death, beauty out of brokenness. The resurrection signals God's intent to rescue rebels and restore them. Rebels like Peter, rebels like me, and rebels like you. Jesus shows exceptional grace to those in exceptional brokenness. The messenger was basically saying, um, by extension to Peter, Peter, in your brokenness, in your weeping, in your failure, in your inability to follow Jesus well, he has singled you out. Not for the judgment that you expect, not to be kicked out of the family like you expect. He singled you out for mercy. He singled you out for kindness. He singled you out to ensure you stay in the family. You will see him just as he told you. And when you see him, Im by implication, Peter, he's going to restore you. And that is what Jesus says to you this morning. And he says it to me, and he says it every day of our lives through his resurrection. This is the good news. There is no quit in Christ. There's all kinds of quit in us, but Jesus will never quit pursuing us. He restores us. He reconciles us to the Father. He has done all the work necessary for that to be possible. So guys, in summary, Jesus' resurrection validates everything that he says to us through his word. He is a trustworthy king. Remember that today. Jesus is trustworthy. You can trust him with your life. Number two, Jesus' resurrection demonstrates his unrivaled authority over me. He is my rightful king. I don't have a right to rule over myself. There is no other king that has a right to me. Jesus alone is our rightful king. And third, Jesus' resurrection displays his unmatched power. 
working for my good and for your good. He is our rescuing king. He's our only rescuing king, the only one able, qualified with the authority to rescue us. And so in closing, let me just ask you this question. Have you repented of your rebellion against your rightful king? Have you repented of your rebellion against his kind kingly rule over you? Have you believed the good news of the gospel? According to Paul, there is nothing more important than the answer to that question this morning. For those of you who have already repented and believed, are you living like Jesus really defeated death in the grave? This is of first importance to us, and we have to admit on many days we don't. But Jesus, through his resurrection, in his kindness, looks to us and says again, just repent, believe, keep on believing. Um, I am pursuing you, and I will keep you in the family. Our hope is in his work, not our own work. I'm joined by Ron now. We're going to kick some of this around together. And, and Ron, who has, has written some questions for us, will introduce some new questions that we can ask and consider. So whether you're watching this um, as a couple, as a family, um, whether if you're watching this alone, may, maybe a few MCs are still gathering, not, not highly likely. Uh, but this will give all of us the opportunity to interact later today or throughout the week with the same set of questions to consider uh, from these texts. Hi, Pillar. I'm Ron Koya, and I'm back again with John, and we're going to talk about some of the questions. So right now, you should have received an email either from Pillar directly or from your MC leader to sh look over these four questions. And so it's important to have them out right now because John and I will give a breeze through these. And then after you watch the sermon, if you haven't already, make sure you watch the sermon. And then from there, we'll look at these questions. That can be answered in a small family setting or better yet, in a Zoom setting with the rest of your MC or other members of, of the church. So let's start off with the first one. John, why don't you read it for us right. so we can kind of see what that means. Yep. You wrote down, or uh, you asked, which does the resurrection confirm most for you? Jesus' credibility his authority, or his ability. We look at the resurrection as the staple point of the truth of Christianity. And John mentioned this in his sermon, is that it does all three of these. It looks at Jesus' credibility, his authority, and his ability. And so this question is just asking you, what do you think is the most important for you in your Christian faith? Yeah, I love this question, and um, I think it's very important. I, I do want to encourage you, uh, be very careful not to make this just an intellectual thing. Like, oh, well, I, I believe Jesus is credible. Or, yeah, I give assent to the idea that he has authority. I think when we, when we consider these credibility, authority, ability, we've got to make them very personal. Like, for example, um, the, own, the guilt of sin that I carry. Like, if I, I continue in my guilt and my shame, forget the intellectualism for a minute. Like, that alone mm. just says that I don't really believe uh, that Jesus has the authority or the ability to rescue me from those things. So I think we have to be careful to answer that question. And I love the question uh, more personally than we do intellectually. Yeah, I agree. Well, on the second one, John had said a comment in his sermon that I really liked. And he said, Jesus' resurrection is more important to you than fill in the blank. Mm. Uh, whatever that struggle is in your life, Jesus' resurrection is more important than that. So in light of that quote... If we are honest with ourselves, our lives often reflect aspects that are more important than the reality of the resurrection. So in this John, in John's quote, John, Jesus' resurrection is more important to you than what? What is something in your life that you're feeling is creeping its head up to try to take and displace 
the importance of the resurrection. Mm. So confess to your group, whatever your group is, however size, however big your group is, confess to them what competes with the resurrection to gain the first importance in your life. Yeah, and that's probably a daily confession, right? Because it's not like we confess one time and and from that confession forward, nothing ever competes with Jesus again. Mm. It's probably an acknowledgement. Like this, you should take Ron's question and make it a daily question, right? That every day there's something that is creeping into that place. And so this is more, I just need to confess this thing daily. Mm. Yeah. I'm tempted to ask you what yours is. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't already. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll hold off on that. Right. Uh, so we're looking forward in our perspective groups to hear what, what we're struggling with as well. The third one. This is one you definitely need to be looking at the, the paper of questions, just because I took three different quotations that John used in his sermon. And which one of these means the most to you? So why don't you read the Keller one, and sure. I'll read the other two. Tim Keller said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he did not rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he actually rose from the dead. The Andrew Murray quote, a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. Mm, love that quote. And then Paul Tripp said, look into the empty tomb. If God could do this, there is simply nothing outside, inside or outside of you that he is unable to handle. That is just some classic Paul Tripp right there. Love yeah. it. So out of these three, which one speaks to you about the importance of uh, the resurrection? And then our final one kind of more of an open-ended question here. According to what you learned from the sermon, how has the resurrection changed your life? In some way, does this meaning of the, the story of the resurrection, the history of the resurrection, how has it changed your life? And how can the power of the resurrection have meaning for us beyond mm -hmm. this Easter Sunday? Sometimes we just hear resurrection mentioned at Easter. Yeah. It's an important holiday. We're all wearing our white. <laughs> except for today, but, uh, where, you know, you, you have this cultural Easter right. service, and he, how can we look at the importance and meaning of resurrection yeah. beyond this? Yeah, that's so good, and I know sometimes people get caught up in the debate, you know, should Christians worship on Saturday, Sunday, and it's so clear in history and in the New Testament that it very early shifted to the first day of the week, to Sunday, um, to align with the resurrection, and, and, and a big reason for that was the resurrection is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. And so it's not something that we just remember or celebrate on Easter mm. Sunday or one Sunday out of the year. Um, the, f the, the fact that Christians historically gather on Sundays is to serve us in making the resurrection the centerpiece of all of our gatherings. Mm. Uh, it's a daily, weekly thing for us. So, yeah, I love that question, too. And it is kind of nice in this setting where the church is dispersed across Okinawa and we get to celebrate resurrection without any of the trappings of our usual mm, right, yeah. uh, Easter services yeah. that maybe become a little too cultural and uh, ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, I hope you and your group have a good time talking about these, and I hope that you can see the power and the meaning and the beauty of the resurrection from hearing other answers. Thanks, Ron. Love you guys.